The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, uh, it's a privilege to be back with you again this week. Uh, last week, uh, I, I had the privilege to go to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and, and to uh, attend the Desiring God National Conference. And uh, it was an amazing time, so I thank you for allowing me to go. It was, uh, it was absolutely wonderful, and, and the Lord really ministered to me. And, 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 and I felt renewed and felt uh, uh, challenged, and so it was a wonderful time. So thank Thank you for letting me uh, go to that. But um, let's get going. Uh, we are continuing in our series uh, through First Thessalonians, faith, love, and hope. All right. And so uh, we're going to be starting in chapter three today. So if you want to go ahead and start flipping to First Thessalonians chapter three, you can go ahead and do that. Now, uh, what we're talking about today is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is something to be admired, right? Uh, when we have dogs, how do we describe them? We describe them as loyal and faithful, right? That's something to be admired. How do we describe cats as the devil, right? And so, like, faithfulness is something to be admired. There was a man who went and spent time in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, and he was overwhelmed by just how much suffering and, and, and things they had to take care of. And, and he said to her, how are you not crushed under this pressure? There's, there's so much to do. There's more than you can possibly do. There are more needs than you can possibly meet. How in the world will you be able to be successful? And here's what Mother Teresa said. She said, my dear Senator, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. And that's a, that's a wonderful descriptor. And don't you want to be called a faithful follower of Jesus? Isn't that how you would like to be described? I'd like two things on my tombstone. One is, uh, is faithful follower of Jesus. The other is pepperoni and cheese. Anyone get that? All right. So anyway, I would love to be described as a faithful follower of Jesus. And as we look at our scriptures today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to see an example of a faithful follower, and that's Timothy. And you say, but we're not in Timothy. I know, but just be quiet. I'll, we'll get there, all right? We're going to be reading through here today. And we're going to look at Timothy as our example of, of what the aspects of a faithful follower's life contain. And, and the three things we're going to look at is the qualities of a faithful follower, the co-worker of a faithful follower, and the destiny of a faithful follower. If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to cover verses 1 through 4 today. Would you read this with me? Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we ask for your understanding as we go through these scriptures and Lord, I ask for um, your supernatural uh, protection, Lord, um, that you would use, uh, you use my words, my mouth, my lungs, my, my breath. Would you use all of that for you? Um, would you speak clearly here today? And Lord, would you also protect us? God, if there's something in me that's, that's not of you, there's something selfish or, or vain, or, or Lord, I'd want to say something distracting, would you... Would you prevent me from doing so by your Spirit and just speak clearly and plainly to each of us here and gift us with your understanding. We love you. We thank you for hearing us today. It's in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's break this down. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. So we see that they were so concerned with the Thessalonians' faith. And you say, how do you know they're concerned with their faith? Because look at verse 2. We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith. All right. So they sent Timothy because they couldn't stand it any longer to see what was going on in their faith. Right. And so uh, look at the language that he uses here. He says, we could bear it no longer and we were willing to be left behind. What does this imply? It implies that losing Timothy was a sacrifice. It implies that Timothy was such a faithful follower and was so valuable to kingdom work that it hurt them to be separated from him. Do you understand that he was so faithful and what a great picture of the body of Christ here. In Romans 12.5, it says that we are, all, we are all members that form one body in Christ and we belong to one another. How great is this that, that Timothy was, was fulfilling his role so well that there was a gap left. He left a hole when he went away. Now listen, I love football. I absolutely love football. And, and, uh, and this afternoon, I'll, I'll be happy to watch the Titans beat the Vikings uh, this afternoon if you'd like to you know, hang out with me, buy me wings, you can do that. Uh, But anyway, I love watching football, but I also play fantasy football. Now, here's how fantasy football works. What happens is we have a league where we draft players, all right? Like my starting quarterback is Cam Newton. And so anyway, we draft these different players, and depending on what they do in the game, I get points. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I can trade these players away. Like, for example, I drafted Chris Johnson, the running back for the Tennessee Titans. He is a horrible, horrible football player. He is the, he's the worst, all right? And so anyway, like, I got rid of him because he wasn't helping my team. For me to lose him, I actually, it was, it was addition by subtraction, if you catch my drift, right? Like, he, was, he wasn't helping me, right? But I do have some players that people constantly try to trade me for who are just too valuable. I just don't want to lose them. And then I started to think, what if our churches were that way? What if I could trade church members? Could you imagine? What if, what if I called up to Bartlett Baptist? Hey, I don't know the pastor's name. I'll just call him pastor. Hey, pastor Bartlett Baptist. I don't know your name. Uh, listen, um, I want to propose a trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to propose a trade. Hey, that, that, uh, that guy you had over there who worked really hard and did all that hallow him stuff, uh, he's, he seems awesome. I want him. Oh, oh who am I going to give you for him? Uh, I've got the most amazing like seat fillers you've ever seen, all right? Like, look, no, seriously, these people, their behinds are so huge. It's like, it's like a seat and a half. No, no, no. No, that's all they do. You, what do you mean you don't want? I, I'll give you two of them. All right, three. three. One's, one counts as one and a half. I'm telling you, it is a seat and a half they're covering, right? Like, what if we could do that? What if I could trade you with me trading you, losing you in this church, Would there be a hole left, or would it be addition by subtraction? Have you thought about that? Are you you fulfilling your role in the body of Christ so strongly that we would miss you, that it would be a sacrifice for us to lose you? And if the answer is no, that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And let's fix that. Let's look at Timothy's example. So number one, let's look at the qualities of a faithful follower. Timothy was a hard worker. Was I think why, number one, Paul didn't want to get rid of him. He's a hard worker. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's companions uh, travel with him to Athens, and then they leave him alone. But before they leave, he grabs him. He says, listen, give me Timothy back. All right? I want Timothy. All right? So before, but do, whatever you got to do, wherever you're going next, go get me Timothy. So he said, you guys can borrow Timothy, but I need him back. Why? He's a hard worker. 
quicker. I don't know what all Timothy did. I don't know what he, he did for Paul, but apparently he did it well. We see he's a church planner. We know he took care of widows and orphans. He worked hard, but I don't, I don't know exactly what he did, but I know that he worked hard. And, and Timothy understood this. He was with Paul when he wrote his letter to the Colossians. To, to, and, and if you read that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul wrote this. And, and I like to think maybe... Maybe the Lord used Timothy as an example to him to write this truth. Whatever you do, work at it all with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Timothy understood this. Whatever he did, he worked hard for the Lord. He's a hard worker. The second thing about him, he was a selfless supporter. Now in Acts chapter 18, it's where uh, uh, Timothy finally meets up with Paul. But before that, Paul does something interesting. Paul starts making tents. Now, I looked, and, and I couldn't find another place in the Scriptures where Paul is making tents. It's this interesting thing. Now, now I think it says something about Paul that, you know what? My work is so important that whatever I have to do, if I've got to go make tents for a while so that I can further the gospel, I'll do it. But, you know, I, I, and, and I hope I'm not reading into the Scriptures, but I like to think that maybe uh, Timothy was such a selfless support that Paul was making tents because Timothy wasn't with him supporting him so that he could go preach the gospel. Do you understand? Paul had to stop and go make tents because he didn't have the selfless support of Timothy behind him there to say, hey, this is, you go preach and teach. Please let me make the tents. Let me get the funds and, and raise the money. And so Timothy, I think that the great thing about Timothy being a selfless supporter is that he understood that there's not a single insignificant job in the body of Christ. Not a single insignificant job. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, 21 puts it this way. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Sometimes we don't do a job because we think it's a stinky feet job and we're an eyeball. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes like we give so much honor to other jobs, right? You honor uh, uh, someone that's up on the stage talking to you. You honor that. That's like, wow, that's a, that's a good job. That's a cool thing to do. You honor someone who gets up here and sings or plays an instrument. Like, yeah, that's a good thing. Wow, they really know what's going on, right? But, but we don't necessarily give honor to those who, who change our, our, take out our trash or, or unlock the doors for us to get in here this morning. However, they are just as significant. They are just as important because God's going to use all of them together in his body to, to, to work towards the same goal. In Acts chapter 6, there's a great picture of this where uh, there are some widows who aren't getting uh, fed in the daily distribution. And so they come and they say in Acts chapter 6, hey, listen, uh, we need to take care of them. We're missing that, that job. There's a hole right there. And so Paul says, you know what, I, we can't stop. Uh, uh, preaching the gospel and the ministry of the the ministry of the word and prayer, we can't stop that to go serve tables. Now I'm not saying serve table in a derogatory term. I think he was just saying this is a vastly different job. This is something else that some that that we need taken care of. This is a hole we need filled. But you know what? Like we're not the ones to do it. We're called here. We need other people there. And so he didn't mean it in a derogatory term because you know what? They prayerfully considered who they were going to put on that job, and they put their best, their most faithful men they put on the job of serving tables and you say well okay so what's the big deal they serve tables or they don't as soon as they took care of that detail do you know what happened do you know what the scriptures say after that it said that the word of god increased god blessed it why 
because now everyone was working together. All the holes were filled, and God accomplished a lot. There are no insignificant jobs whatsoever. If you've been called by God to serve tables, as the scripture would say, then do it well because it serves an eternal purpose. There's no insignificant jobs. So he's a selfless supporter. The, the third thing he was, he was a close brother. First Timothy chapter 1 verse, verse 2, he's addressed here as Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy allowed Paul to get close to him. In fact, he allowed Paul to invest in him. And so there's a very deep and, and, and close bond there in relationship. And relationships in the church right here, the people you're sitting next to, is one way that God brings us to holiness. It's one way that God brings us along in the process of sanctification, being made more like Jesus through the encouragement and challenge of other believers. Look at verse 2. What did it say Timothy went to go do to establish so to teach and to exhort to encourage you in your faith and if you're closed off in here today if you're closed off from other people and you're one of those people we talked about a couple weeks ago you're one of the church ninjas you know what I mean the people that sneak in and sneak out we never knew you were here if you're one of those people then you know what you're not doing yourself any favors and you're not doing us any favors right we need one another. We're, we need to participate in each other's sanctification, participate in each other's process of being made more like God. So are you known here? Are your hurts known here by other people? Are your joys known here by other people? Are your passions known here and shared by other people? So one of the things that Timothy was, he was close brother. So let's be like Timothy and work towards those qualities of the faithful follower. Let's keep going. Let's look at the co-worker of the faithful follower. Look at verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, this is a bold statement. And, and this is an instance where I don't think the, the King James uh, translation does this, the, the Greek justice. Because the King James translates it this way, the minister of God. And, and I think it does this almost to soften that idea. God's co-worker. That's a, that's a, bold, that's a bold statement. That's a, that's a big idea to, to try to wrap your head around. Let's define a co-worker real quick. Would you agree with me that ideally a co-worker is someone working alongside of you towards the same goal? Now sometimes this is true. When I worked at uh, Sears, I sold appliances and, uh, and, and I, was, I was darn good at it. I love refrigerators and I could tell you everything one did. I could tell you things it didn't do. That made me a good salesperson. Uh, but anyway, like I, uh, when, when I worked there, I had coworkers and we worked on commission. All right, so literally when people say time is money, no, literally it is, all right? Like I need more time with these people. I need that money. And uh, when I was gone, uh, someone came back and they came with a problem with their refrigerators. One of the orders got messed up. Now, what my coworker did was he said, you know what? What's more important than me getting a commission is that this customer is taken care of. And so he spent his time, literally his valuable time, uh, fixing this order for me. He didn't get paid for it. I got paid for it. Why? Because we're working towards the same goal here. We want, we want to, to meet the customer's needs. That's a coworker. Now also, I have, I've had coworkers who are not the ideal coworker. There was a church I worked at uh, one time. It's not this one, but there was a church I worked at one time who I had a coworker who I think he thought his call from God was to find interesting and new ways to waste time. Uh, it was amazing. We would have an assignment. We'd have to go do it. And he would say, hey, man, you know, if we took this racquetball and bounced it off the ceiling 
If we hit it with our foot, that's one point. If we hit it with... No, stop scoring things. We can't, we can't keep doing this. Or the common thought that came up in his head was, I wonder what that looked like if it got set on fire. You know what I mean? Like that was his, his job was to distract. And so he wasn't the best co-worker here. But ideally, of course, a co-worker is someone working alongside you towards the same goal, which it kind of brings up another question in my mind as I was thinking about working is, would you ever be a co-worker to somebody for free? Is there anybody that you, uh, that, that you would consider such an honor you'd work for free? I've got some examples. I, like like if, if John Piper, who, who led the Desiring God Conference, who uh, uh, literally my daughter is named after, if he wanted to fly me to Minneapolis where he lives and help him sort his laundry, I would do it. All right? You know what I mean? It, literally, this man, through, the, the, through his ministry, the Lord has, has deepened my understanding of himself. And so literally, if he's like, fold my underwear, absolutely. Absolutely, I will. I will do that for the rest of my life. I would do that for free. Now, if the President of the United States called me and said, hey, I lost my contact lens. It's on the carpet somewhere. Will you help me find it? Yes, I will come because you're the President. That's a pretty cool story. Hey, you've been in the Oval Office? Yeah, no big deal. I helped uh, the Commander-in-Chief find his contact lens. No big deal, right? You know, if the, if the, if the Queen of England wanted me to come over there uh, and help her lose some weight and run a marathon, I would do it. And by the way, that'd be a great reality show. Who wouldn't watch that, right? Grant runs with the queen. That would be awesome, right? I'd be chasing her. That's the only way I know to run, just chase somebody. But anyway, why? Why would I do these things? Because it's an honor. It's an absolute honor. It's an honor to, to work beside the man who, through his ministry, the Lord has given me a deeper understanding of himself. It's an honor to, to serve the commander-in-chief of my country. It's an honor uh, to go and, and, and serve uh, alongside the, the, the second longest uh, living and reigning uh, monarch that's, that's on the, the planet today. That's, a, that's an honor. And think about this. Timothy was God's co-worker. Timothy had the opportunity to work alongside God in his eternal work of glorifying himself through the declaration of the gospel. What an honor. What an unbelievable honor. But listen to this. Every single day, listen, followers of Jesus, every single day you have the same honor. You have the opportunity to share in the same honor. 1 Corinthians 3.9 calls us God's co-workers in God's service. 2 Corinthians 6.1 calls us God's co-workers. So you get to participate in what God is doing. Does he need you? No. No, he doesn't. But here's the reality. If he doesn't need you, then what does that mean? He wants you. He wants to work beside you. Are you kidding me? He wants to work with me. He wants to work with you. He wants you to participate in what he's doing. That's an amazing thought. And so there are three things about this idea that should really inspire you to stand up right now and just start singing. So if you do, no, no harm, no foul, all right? We won't tackle you because that's a natural response. This is an amazing thing. Number one, what a privilege. We're so unworthy. I think about Isaiah 6, 5, and he said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell well in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We're so unworthy, but listen to this. He's counted us worthy. 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, 11 through 12. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. So this is a, humbly and prof- uh, a humbling and profound thought that God has counted you and me worthy in His Son, not because of us, but because of himself, to allow us to participate and work alongside him in his eternal work of glorifying himself. 
That's an amazing, profound, and humbling thought, isn't it? What a privilege. But also, what a purpose. No matter your job title, whatever you do in this world, you are God's co-worker. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means that everything you do now serves an eternal purpose. Doesn't that kind of change how your boring spreadsheet might appear tomorrow when you go to work, right? Like God is working in me with this stupid little spreadsheet to bring glory to himself. What an amazing thought. So we can literally read the scripture a little bit differently. So whether you eat or drink or stay at home with your kids or are a waiter or study 24 or are retired or are vacationing or suffering or hurting or grading papers or getting a speeding ticket, do it all to the glory of God. John Piper put it this way, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. Every moment is now our opportunity to participate in God's work of glorifying himself through his son Jesus. I think about in Minneapolis. Uh, well, there's something really different. If you're from the north, I apologize. I'm about to offend you. But uh, when I was in Minneapolis, I thought about just one of the things that's so different um, is, is just, I don't know, manners, I guess, are so different in the north and the south. The south, we have them. I guess that's the difference, right? Uh, and so when, we, when I was up there, I was in the airport, there was a man... Uh, and, and, and he was working behind a counter, and he was behind two registers, and I went up to, to buy Skittles, because that's what men eat. And uh, I said, sir, I need these. And, and I said, which register is open? And he said, well, that one says open, doesn't it? And I went, well, now's the time. Do I glorify God, or do I pelt him with Skittles? And so <laughs> our exchange went that way for another few minutes of just extremely rude and And I just kept going, okay, God, glorify yourself. Let me show your goodness. Let me show your love and your mercy to this man. And so I tried to be kind and loving. And by the end of it, as I left, he said, thank you so much for coming in today. And I like to think and I hope to think that the Holy Spirit used that moment to pierce his heart in whatever he was going through. There's another opportunity. I went into the Chili's to watch football uh, and sat there at the bar watching watching the the game. And it was terrible because I had to watch uh, the, the Vikings. Who wants to watch them? And so anyway, I, I'm watching them, and there's this guy next to me, and he's three or four drinks deep, and uh, he is yelling at the television screen as if he might actually get his voice on the field if he yells loud enough. And there, he's yelled some curse words that I just had to, like, good job. I never heard that one. That was a good job. <laughs> like, it was just, I was fantastic. And so I had an opportunity. Do I put my headphones in and sit there and close myself off and eat my little skillet queso and try to forget he exists? Or do I use this as an opportunity to show the greatness and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ to him, right? It's another opportunity uh, to participate in what God is doing. What a purpose. And lastly, what a promise. God's coworker. God's co-worker. There's two promises in that one. Number one, you don't work alone. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. God will gift you the ability and the desire to do his work. I think about, I was, I was driving, I was actually driving up here, and I was meeting someone up here who it was, uh, we had just, 
I don't know, this person was just very, very critical of me during this season of my life, and, and it was really hard for me to love them. It was, I, I was, Lord, I was saying, Lord, I, I got in my car, I said, God, like, uh, I'd be okay if you called them home, you know what I mean? Like, I'll just, I'll do the funeral for free, like, I've, I've, you, you're in control, God, you know? And then I started to pray, God, I know that's sinful. I know it's a, I've got a terrible heart. I, I'm, just, I'm wicked through and through. Lord, would you give me a desire for this person? Would you give me a love for this person? I don't want it at all, but would you give it to me? I know it's what I need. And so when I walked in that, that, the, the, the lobby and, and I met up with this person, literally all I could do and all I wanted to do was hug them. There was nothing in me but absolute love for that person. Is that me? No. Grant wanted to do his funeral. It was the Lord Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit willing and working through me. I don't work alone. God works through me. But also, because you don't work alone, listen to this. You don't work for free either. Isn't that amazing? You don't work for free. There are countless rewards throughout the scriptures where we see God promising those, uh, making promises to those that are faithful to him. There are rewards now we see in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart for those who only want to see God because you know what? They will see God. And there's also rewards in eternity. Listen to this, this craziness Jesus spoke. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. So truly happy are you when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who are before you. There are great rewards in being faithful and following uh, our Lord Jesus and working with God. Let's continue. Look at verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Why did they need to be taught and encouraged in their faith? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. That no one will be moved by these, what? Afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Can I do a side note real quick? Look, look, this, this something that kind of stuck out to me. The gospel is so, such a powerful declaration of who God is and, and what he's done that the testimony of suffering doesn't hinder it but can actually be used for it. Think about this. Here's what he said. We, we told you about this. We kept telling you beforehand that we would suffer affliction. They didn't sugarcoat their lives with the gospel. When they came in, they said, hey, listen, following Jesus is the most wonderful, amazing thing you'll ever do. It's going to cost you everything. You will suffer. They didn't sugarcoat it at all. And what happened? People were saved. If you go back and look in Acts chapter 14, Paul is stoned in Lystra. They think they've stoned him to death. They throw him out. He gets back up, goes back in, and continues to preach the gospel. And people get saved. He's sitting there bloodied and bruised. And, hey, didn't I throw a rock at your head yesterday until I thought you were dead? Yeah, that was me. Good job. It's okay. I forgive you. I love you, right? And he's saying, look, I can promise you there there is nothing that will satisfy you more than the Lord Jesus Christ. But this will probably happen to you. And what happened? God still used it. One of the things I, I I, I took an encouragement from this is don't ever water down 
what God does in the gospel. Don't water it down. Don't dress it up. Don't sugarcoat it because it's powerful. There's nothing more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. So don't worry about putting a bow on it or putting some mascara on it, all right? It doesn't need that. It doesn't need to be hidden. You show it for what it is because the glory of God is in it through suffering and through joyful times. Don't sugarcoat the gospel. Let's keep going. Sorry. Uh, That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So lastly, let's look at this, the destiny of the faithful followers. Now, Christians don't like that word destiny because it seems like fatalistic, which is kind of funny that we don't like that idea because, um, you know, God does what he pleases, Psalm 115.3. So it's kind of funny that we serve this sovereign God and we don't like to think like he can do whatever he wants. But anyway, all right. So we are destined for affliction, all right? And, and we don't like this destiny because it, it's rough. We're destined for affliction? What, what in the world? And I think there are two different categories of affliction that, that we are destined for as followers of Jesus. Number one is an internal affliction. There's a war within us of the old man versus the new man. Or, or we might say it another way, your flesh, this sinful nature you were born with, and the Spirit of God that now resides within you. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The spiritual battle inside of you is, is a great one. It is, it is a, a, a terrible battle, and that's all inside of you. And Jesus acknowledged how serious this struggle is, and, and, and so he even says in Luke 9, 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now think about that. Think about the internal struggle that Jesus just asked us to participate in. He said, deny yourself. He says literally crucify that part of you that doesn't serve God. Crucify those desires and that nature that is at war with the Spirit. So take that. That's a, that's a painful picture, isn't it? That's, that's a struggle. That's an internal affliction. He's saying that, look, you have rough edges. You have things in you that don't honor me. And the only way to get them out is we've got to pull them out and we've got to knock them off of you and then we've got to put them to death. But remember, remember as we do this and as we struggle internally, that God is your co-worker and He will help you. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to in. Endure it. Though this may be an eternal affliction, God is with you and he will bring you endurance. God is with you. The second way that we're afflicted externally, Matthew 10, you will be hated. This is Jesus speaking by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And, and one of the encouragements we can take from the Lord Jesus as we face external uh, 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 affliction is this. Number one, Christ has suffered, so he knows. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, something funny I, I read this week that, that kind of made me smile and also made me stop and think. R.C. Sproul said this. People always say, why do bad things happen to good people? And here's was his, here was his response. That only happened once, and he volunteered. 
talking about Jesus, of course, being the only good, the only good person to ever face bad, right? He's the only good person. But he's faced it. He's suffered. And he knows. He absolutely knows. That's what I love Hebrews 4 that tells us that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one that's been tempted in every way that we are, just as we are, yet he's without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't serve a God who's so far removed, who looks at us and says, that looks tough. I don't, why don't you just pick yourself up? I don't know what's going on. Jesus says, no, no, no. He comes aside, uh, beside us as our co-worker and he says, that is tough. I know what that's like. I felt that. That's so, I know what that feels like, that pulling inside of you. I get that. That's tough. That's difficult. But I know the way out. I know how to endure it because I did endure it without sin. Let me help you. Let me give you grace. I'm with you. I know. I know. He knows. The second thing, the second encouragement, Christ has overcome the world. So not only does he want to help, but he has the power to help. Listen to this. John 16, 33. This is Jesus speaking. Listen, listen, listen. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have struggle. You will have affliction. But listen, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Raise your hand if you feel afflicted right now. Raise your hand if you feel afflicted or if you feel some sort of suffering. Listen to me right now. If your hand's up, listen to me right now. God has overcome the world. Whatever stands against you can't stand against you. Either he will crush it now in this life or one day he will return and he will put that sickness, he will put whatever's coming against you, he will put it down and he'll put it down forever. God is with you. The Lord says in Isaiah, for I am the Lord your God and I hold your right hand and I say to you, do not fear for I will help you you. The Lord is with you. He's with you. Not only is he with you, but he has the power to do something about it. He's defeated this world. We don't wrestle with an enemy who has any chance. Do you understand that? We don't wrestle an enemy who has any chance. He's defeated. Also, our encouragement is Christ will not waste your affliction. Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God uses every affliction to shape us and mold us and make us holy in this way. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain illustrates how the difficult and painful process of being made holy in affliction serves an eternal purpose. Listen to what he says here. This... This just resonated in my soul. The mold in which a key is made would be a strange thing if you've never seen a key. And the key itself, a strange thing if you've never seen a lock. Your soul, listen to this, has a curious shape because it's a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the, of the divine substance or a key to unlock one of the doors in the house with many mansions. Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. As you suffer affliction, you're being shaped and molded. And God will never waste a minute of it to make you like His Son. And lastly, 
Christ will reward you with himself. Philippians 3.8. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul lost everything. He lost his plans, his future, his status, his wealth, his friends, his health, his safety, his comfort. He calls them garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And I want to encourage you with this. The destiny of us to suffer affliction in this life ends in this life. Your ultimate destiny that will never end is Jesus. That's where you're headed. That's your ultimate destiny. I want to close with, with this scripture. And Matt will come up and we'll, we'll sing one last song together. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace You've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hang on one second. Seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you right now? I'm in Bartlett, Tennessee. No, you're not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, listen, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus from now and forever when we leave this place or he comes and gets us and he comes to us we will spend eternity and he will spend eternity showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus my destiny is not eternal suffering my destiny is eternal satisfaction in the kindness and the riches of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your love for us. We're overwhelmed at the opportunity to join you in your work. Lord, if we have been apathetic if we have not been responding to your greatness correctly, if we've not been responding with a life poured out. Give us your wisdom on how to do that. Give us the clarity in our own lives of of what things we need to cut away so that we can see you more clearly. And Lord Jesus, as we suffer affliction, may we be encouraged because you walk with us. You hold our right hand and say, don't, no, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to help you. I've overcome this place. Everything that you're afraid of, all these giant big things that seem overwhelming, I have literally put them under my feet and I'm going to help you do the same. Lord Jesus, we live victorious in you and recognize that no matter what I face, no matter what I face, my destiny is ultimately with you. So Lord, thank you for your love for us. May we respond in spirit and in truth. 
We love you. It's in your name. Would you sing this, this song with us now? Stand and sing with us as we uh, respond to the Lord Jesus.